East Meds West. This podcast explores Eastern and Western philosophies of medicine and life, where they collide or collaborate. Introducing your host, Dr. Carolyn Edelston. So welcome to episode two. Now today I'm taking you on a little journey back in time to a place where Western and Eastern medicines were first documented, really. And you may think, well, why bother? Why are we doing this? Why am I taking you back all that way? Can't, can't we just get on with the juicy stuff? Well, bear with me because the idea of this podcast is to really use medicine as the connector between the Eastern and Western worlds. And if I go back, I can just sort of lay the foundation and help you, like I did, understand where of these concepts, these cultural ideas come from that I then draw out and open up a wider debate, a discussion with leaders in the corporate world, the commercial world, which I think doesn't really talk about this stuff. And certainly for me, it got me thinking, it gets me thinking, I am a natural sceptic. I read, if I read anything, I want to understand what's behind that and where it came from. So bear with me and let's hope you find it interesting. So I want to introduce Carl today, who's my podcast buddy, my technical guru, and he's the one that keeps me on track, really. So shall we start, Carl? Yes, let's get let's do it. So, just how far back are we going in time? Well, I started to go back too far and I realized we'd be here all night. So, I've chosen a date of 500 BC. And not being a brilliant historian, I've realized that that's sort of iron age. So, that gives us some sort of starting point. The reason I've chosen that date is that the some of the oldest medical texts were found around that time. And I'm going to use two, the two systems of medicine I'm most familiar with. I'm not going to do the world history of medicine. I'm going to use traditional Chinese medicine, and I'm going to do our Western medicine and, and, and start from there. So we'll start with, let's start with traditional Chinese medicine. 500 BC, the first book, the, the Yellow Emperor's Classic, it was called, was written by the physician to the king at that time, the emperor at that time. And it was written like an interview. So the king, the emperor, was asking the physician questions. And he was a very revered physician, as he would be to treat, treat the king, the emperor. Um, so it was this quite informal conversation about the medicine he was using. And of course, then they just had metal. So he would have been using pretty heavy-duty, hideous acupuncture needles, certainly not like the fine hair-like things we use today. Basically bigger and thicker. Big. Yeah, yeah. They were, you know, there was, these were not manufactured. These were, you know, made by hand. Yeah, so I imagine... And presumably reused. Reused. Possibly uh, back then, yeah, they, they may have, you know, dipped it in fire to sterilise it. I'm not sure they had that awareness, though, because that sort of germ theory, that hadn't hadn't begun so very basic so this was a time of very very basic living um, where people died at a very young age a life expectancy was short and medicine was still very very basic and it was about keeping people alive And, and this book you just talked about that effectively was created out of this conversation between 
you know, Dr. Medic, whatever we want to call that, that expert, and the emperor. I think it was the first time it had been documented. So the actual medicine had been going thousands of years before then. Um, and I think, so in this book, the important thing for me that I realized was this, the, in Chinese medicine, illness was, there were two causes, external causes to the body and internal causes. External causes were, were the climate, which we see now. We see peaks of illnesses in certain seasons and certain, you know, you get a cold in cold weather. So the climate that affected our, our disease, our body, sorry, and caused disease were wind, cold, damp, heat, and summer heat. And they still believe that the pathogens come in through those weather systems. So there are these points at the back of the neck that you must always keep covered in on windy days, wear a scarf. And actually, when you do get a cold, you often feel that sort of slight shivery feeling at the back of your neck. Um, so external causes were mainly climate at that time. So they believed we should be careful around certain climatic, particularly changes of the seasons. So clear and strong connection to nature and the natural world. Yes. All the pictures that were drawn at that time were this unique position of the human being standing with their feet on the earth, hands and head in the heaven. And our, our, our pure, the way we stayed well was to match these cycles of seasons and to match what was going on. The internal causes of disease, according to Chinese medicine, were mainly the emotions, interestingly. But these emotions, certain emotions affected organs. So fear, um, grief, sadness, shock, anger, and there's one more, worrying, ruminating. Each organ affects a different, each emotion affects a different organ system. So, so back then, uh, that suggests to me a strong awareness of mental health. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't, it wasn't separate to physical mm. health, even back then. It was, a, it was an understanding that the way we think affects our health, which of course Western medicine has proven now. So that's um, the, uh, the, the, the Eastern, the, yes. the tra chi traditional Chinese stuff. Let's flip over to, to the West, shall we? Yes. Yeah. So Western medicine back then was still looking, let's look at Hippocrates, the father of Western medicine, the Hippocratic Oath, this um, moral code for how you honour the patient-doctor relationship was written at that point. Some people argue it wasn't Hippocrates himself, but it was at that time. Hippocrates had this, this model of medicine called the four humours. So at that point, those two medicines were not that different really mm, mm. because we weren't really dissecting many bodies at that point gosh so all that feels so different to the world in which we live now where you know i will go and see my gp i may get a prescription i may get some drugs some antibiotics you know wh when did things start to move on i think when you look back a big big significant event was the industrial revolution that changed the way we lived the way we worked the way we traveled so suddenly scientific information could be shared. You, you remember, we've all seen pictures of those black skies, the amount of pollution that was in the air at that time. So people noticed, scientists noticed that people were getting ill at work. There were new illnesses, asbestosis, you know, lung problems from the pollution, chemical problems um, from people working with chemicals. So all these, all these new illnesses arose and I think with the, um, the fact that people could travel and talk, ideas were shared, scientists became more and more curious and started to really look 
in more in a more detailed way at the body. So we've got people working, they are they're getting ill, you know, so we've got this drive to be successful, that work ethic, you know, the industrial revolution, people are getting sick, we need to find a fix for these illnesses. So that, that's presumably where drugs come into it, is it? Absolutely. So before then, you know, medicinal herbs and plants were used for a long time, but they were gradually beginning to produce certain um, pills at that time. And of course, the biggest, um, the, the most amazing thing that turned Western medicine around was antibiotics. Um, and Alexander Fleming, I think it was 1850s, apparently was a little bit sloppy with his work and came home from a holiday to find one of his plates. So they used to grow bacteria, still do, on plates um, so that they could look under the microscope and see what was happening. Um, he'd, he'd accidentally contaminated one of the plates with a fungus and noticed that where the fungus was growing, it had actually killed the bacteria. And this was the first realisation of penicillin. Before that point, when people were getting sick, why did people believe they were getting ill? What, what, what did they believe the causes were without the, the industry side of this? Well, that's quite interesting. They, they thought, they talked about this miasma, which was this sort of putrid cloud that were, came from rotting organic matter. Um, and they believed that this cloud, which had a horrible odour, which rotting stuff does, was the thing that invaded you and made you ill. Um, and until they could actually isolate and see bacteria, um, you know, looking as microscopes became available, they could see that actually in this putrid gas or on this rotting organic flesh were bacteria or via, well, they wouldn't see viruses, but bacteria mm. you could see through a microscope. Then you go what from microscopes and, you know, looking at stuff to what all kinds of other technology, presumably. Yeah, I mean, you had x-rays quite early on as well, and they gave sudden, suddenly people with TB, you could actually see damage within the lungs. Now, prior to that, we haven't mentioned, but dissection was another big thing. So, you know, thousands of years ago, the dead body was very sacred in a lot of traditions, still is. So you, dissections weren't being done. Once we, got, once we started dissecting, um, we could see that actually, oh, here's a damaged organ. I wonder if we took that out or did something with it, corrected it in some way, hence the surgeons. You know, so that, that, had a, that was a, an, a, opened up the body to the scientific world, but of course also made it me very mechanistic from that point on. And from then, we've become smaller and smaller and more detailed and more detailed, you know, CT scans, MRI scans. The technology is phenomenal now, but I think what we can forget to do is then step back and look at the bigger picture. And some of the, I can't remember the name of this, but I remember years ago seeing a television program and it was um, a doctor, you know, a man in a white coat. He had burns all over his hands yeah. because back then, you know, they were such pioneers. They didn't yes. realise the danger of some of this yes. technology, did they? Absolutely. And pregnant women would have been x-rayed and you know even even when you have a, a tiny dental x-ray the dentist leaves the room <laughs> you yeah. sit there thinking is this all right you know so yeah we're much more careful so some of the discoveries i mean you've already mentioned one of them that was kind of an accident some of them weren't by design were they these discoveries no so there there were quite a few accidents i mean even i think even the origin of acupuncture when you look at some of the historical books um, it was, you know, hunter-gatherers knocking a certain point in their leg, it bleeding and noticing somebody who was hot with a fever, the temperature would go down. Or they'd press on a certain point and something else would clear up. 
So, you know, some, a lot of discoveries are by accident. Um, the other one in Western medicine is Viagra. It was, a, it was a heart drug. And in some of the studies, male patients were getting certain side effects that they were either unhappy or happy about. And I think the developers thought, we're onto a winner here. You know, let's, let's sell this as a, something else. And I think this often happens in life, doesn't it? That you, you look at something, but actually something else comes from it. So where do you see medicine heading? That's a good question. I think it's almost becoming more integrated. So, and that's, I think, coming from public demand more than anything, and particularly in this current environment we're in, because Western medicine is undoubtedly the place for serious illness. It's brilliant at that. It absolutely saves lives, and we're living longer because of it. Without a doubt. Emergency care is a case in point. I mean, look at, you know, what's been happening with coronavirus. But you you yourself have been in a situation where, you know, a realisation you had to get yourself to hospital. Yes. Yes. So there are, there are, you know, area, there are certain conditions. And I think the reassuring thing about well-trained, well-regulated complementary therapists is they're taught the red flags of Western medicine. This is when you refer, you don't mess around. This is when you go to the doctor. I'm at an advantage because... I often see people and say, no, 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 you need to go to the doctor. So there's an absolute. Um, Western medicine, I think, is now beginning to understand that it can only do so much. And public demand is, I want more time with my doctor. I want to understand more about my body. I've got Google now. I can Google. I've had patients come in who've diagnosed themselves over the internet, sometimes wrongly, but sometimes correctly. And because they've done so much study, I've said to them, you educate me because I don't know as much about this as you do at this point. My doctor, he's recently retired. I remember when I first came here, he said to me, he said, Carl, do you know what my job is? He said, I have to convince people they've not got what they've decided they've got when they walk through my door. And this is before um, you know, everybody had yes. uh, everybody had a search engine yes. on the, on their desktop. Yes, you know? yes, it's true. It's so true, and and we're not very discerning about. It's very difficult to know what information to trust because it all sounds very knowledgeable and very correct. You have to be so careful. Okay, so we've done it from uh, your side, if you like. Now let's flip it and do it from the, the the GP's perspective. How is it for them? Are they thinking about other therapies and other options? when they're meeting their patients these days? I think it's two-way. I think they are beginning to realise their limitations. Um, so more demand on their time, less time. That You know, most people have 10 minutes with their patient, which is a short amount of time. They're not seeing... that You don't tend to see the same GP, so they haven't got that continuity. So I think there's their realisation of what they can and can't offer. They're beginning to realise that... that um, Medical education didn't include a lot of nutritional advice. And now we know how much diet impacts the health. So there's that. They're realizing that they need to refer to dietitians, nutritionalists for help with that. They can't, you can't cover all that ground of lifestyle in a 10-minute consultation. So they are using other modalities, I think, for more lifestyle advice. Um, and the other thing is Western medicine is, is really diagnoses according to certain symptoms and patterns. And 
I would say as a GP, 80% of people didn't fit in those boxes. So they felt unwell, their blood tests were normal, they didn't fit a, a disease, but they knew they weren't right. And I knew they weren't, they weren't right. I, I feel like an example of just what you have described, because I've done that. I've, I've mm. thought, well, I'm not, I still don't feel very well. Mm. And for me, some of that answer, I think, was, was, was around diet, actually. Mm. I've managed to wean myself off uh, uh, one of the acid inhibitors. Just by, just by changing my diet. I won't go into the details now because yes. it's kind of a topic for a, another day. But do you think that in, in, in doing this, in you know, GP saying, okay, you know, have you considered uh, acupuncture or have you considered uh, some kind of fitness regime to a patient, that actually in itself, that's self-care, isn't it, for somebody? Just giving them that idea, they're going to probably pay for it themselves, aren't they? The, yes. the NHS isn't going to foot the bill. They're going to self-fund it. Yes. It's an individual looking after themselves. Yes. What I do a lot in my work is I have a, a group of complementary practitioners that I trust locally. And I'm very happy to cross-refer if I don't think I'm the right person. So I think that's really healthy. A lady uh, I knew very well who used to live close by, who no longer uh, is in this country, she, she emigrated. Um, she was uh, an expert when it came to emergency care. She worked in an emergency department. And she said something to me around the same time I think I met you that has always stayed with me. And essentially she said, in modern day living, we don't take enough time to nurture ourselves. Yes. How true is that? Yes. But how often do people think of this yeah. before they you know, rush off to, to see a doctor? I think it's a, a huge... Um, problem with our lifestyle, our culture actually, because we're rewarded for working hard, pushing hard, achieving, we're goal orientated action. In it, that's certainly the corporate world is still very much, very pressured and it's seen as a good thing to work hard. I think a topic for me for another podcast is nurture yourself. What does that mean? Yeah. Because it can mean so many things, yeah. can't it? Yeah. Having fun, listening to music, uh, new kind of diets, going on your bike, yeah. having some acupuncture. It, yeah. The parameters are massive, aren't they? So we've got a, a sense now of where you think medicine is heading, but I'm interested in some of these terms that you sometimes hear uh, used when people are talking about traditional Chinese uh, therapies. Taoism, what is that? Well, it, 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 it follows on really nicely from this idea of balance, actually. So Taoism is a philosophy, not a religion. It's a way of living that underpins the whole of traditional Chinese medicine. And I would describe it as a, an instruction to, an invitation maybe, not an instruction, an invitation to live in harmony with the outside world. So noticing the seasons, noticing day and night, noticing how nature does stuff, watching the animals, watching how they change, pausing enough to notice them, pausing enough to breathe. And there's this lovely ease and flow to this philosophy. Um, it's something that you could study for thousands of years, but I love it. And the, the best... The, the, the famous book written, um, which is a collection of Taoist poems, is called the Tao Te Ching. It historically seems to have been written around, again, you know, 2,000 years ago. Old, old book. Beautiful, tiny verses of how to live 
in the Taoist way. It's peaceful, it's about compassion, kindness, it's about not fighting. I did actually want to just read two tiny little uh, parts of those verses because it gives you some idea and then if, if it strikes a chord, listeners can go and, and um, investigate further. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is power. Nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. Silence is a source of great strength. So I think there's a very, very strong and useful message for now, which is pause, breathe, wait. What we do is push, rush and react. And when we do that, there's a real stagnation and lack of flow in the body. So ease, if it's blocked, causes dis-ease, disease. And that's the premise of, of Chinese medicine, actually. So I, it's a beautiful tradition. And again, that could be a whole podcast, but there's a little snippet of what mm. it's about. Those are very, uh, in themselves, powerful thoughts in those words, aren't yeah. they? Goodness. Yeah. Okay. Another one is yin-yang. This is probably more famous, isn't it? Yin-yang. Yeah. This there is, is a very famous logo that we see. Uh, everybody knows what it looks like, yeah. don't they? And that's because it's branded on lots of clothing and accessories. So it's, it's everybody knows. But the circle with the, the black and the white, inside the black is a little white dot, inside the white is a little black dot. So um, yin-yang comes from the Taoist belief that life is about balance and nature is constantly balancing. The human body is constantly trying to come back to some kind of balance. Um, Western medicine, we call it homeostasis. So when you cut yourself, it, it always heals. It's in, the, the power of the human body to heal still amazes me. You know, we bash it around and we push it and we expect so much from it and it's always healing, always, always. Skin is renewing, it's incredible really. Um, we expect a lot from it now because we're living so much longer. So originally, the, the story is that the Taoist sages, the sort of monk-like, meditating, quietly, uh, peaceful sages, were looking at a hillside and they saw the sun on one side and the shadow on the other side. And it gave them this idea of how to represent this duality of the world. So the sun was yang, the white, and the shadow was yin, the dark. And the symbol, although it's static and one-dimensional, is actually a moving um, something that's, goodness knows how many dimensions it has, but it flows and it moves. So night flows gently into day. It doesn't suddenly go from dark to light. You have, you have the morning, you know, where the sun slowly rises and you have that lovely change in light. It's really interesting that we're doing this as a podcast and not as a video because I just want to tell everybody that you're creating shapes with your hands. I am. You're I... creating <laughs> curves and shapes with your hands. So if you can just, in your mind's eye, dear listeners, you know, imagine your hands sort of held in front of your head and they are moving around in this yeah. kind of like, almost sort of like planets almost, you yeah, know? There's yeah, a, there's a yeah. flow and um, so the idea is that in life we can be very yang, which is the pushing, busy, and we can be very yin, which is the quiet, slow, and we need a balance of both. So there are yang people, fiery, party 
party goers and there are yin more introverted people and each of us need to honor our individual self-constitution and try to balance life a little bit so that's an absolute dipping your toe in yin yang i could go on for days but people will be sleeping when i knew that this was going to be one of the topics of our podcast because we talked about this the other day i started seeing it everywhere i was driving through nottingham and there was a lady she had a dress and the whole dress was the logo wow it was it was a fairly impressive thing i have to say i've never seen this as a whole dress before but it was a sight to behold I'm thinking that um, one of the thoughts in my mind here is that modern life is really unhealthy and we should all think of, you know, whether you go and see an acupuncturist or you just learn how to meditate, just try and calm down and get back to basics. But where do you think some of uh, our conversation today uh, leaves us? Where are we heading next with our thoughts and our podcasts? Well, I quite like the idea we've we've gone back in time and found out how these medicines started and, and, and how we've got to where we are. What I'd like to do now is leave medicine behind for a bit. And I want to bring out some of the concepts and the cultures and these ideas, these bigger picture ideas, bring them out into the, the we could call it the corporate world, but the world away from the consulting room. So I'm going quite excited because the format changes from next episode. And I each time I will have a guest onto the show. Um, and I'm going to start with a man called Andy Nairn that I'm going to tell you nothing about, except that he's a creative leader. And the title of our next podcast is Luck or Destiny. I look forward to hearing that uh, and hearing him. Um, can we please end with another uh, fascinating fact? We did an acupuncture fascinating fact last time. Do you have another one for me today? Let's think. How about I ask you a question? In traditional Chinese medicine, what are the other modalities that you could be treated with apart from acupuncture? I don't know what the others are. I mean, I, I have words in my mind, like shiatsu isn't, uh, what, what is that? So like shiatsu another? is Japanese. That's Japanese, isn't it? I know it's Eastern. Yep. So no, I'm stuck. What's okay, the so the others are cupping, glass cups that are put onto the body and cause a vacuum, um, herbs, Chinese herbs, tweena, which is called, translates as push-pull, which is a Chinese massage technique, and moxa. Moxa is artemisia or mugwort, a herb that's dried and actually used directly on the skin or like a little cigar where you warm the skin points. So there you go. You've been listening to East Meds West. Subscribe to be notified about future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Submit comments and questions via Twitter at Cycles of Change or email chat at drcarolynedelston.com.